Last week I began a new sermon series going through the New Testament book of 1 Peter. It is a letter written by the Apostle Peter, one of the leaders of the early church, to some of the churches and Christians in Asia Minor, which is part of modern-day Turkey. Um, and the title of my sermon series is just a reference to one of the themes throughout the book, that we live here as strangers on earth, that this world is not our home, that our citizenship is in heaven. And so Peter, throughout this book, tries to help these uh, believers to try to understand what it looks like to live here as resident aliens, as strangers here in this world. So this morning, we're going to be in First Peter 1, Verse 13, going through chapter 2, verse 10, one of the things, ways I'm going to approach this series is we're going to read kind of sections over and over and kind of pull out some of the themes. So some of these verses we looked at last week, but I'm going to pay attention this week to the theme of holiness and that verse where he says, be holy as I am holy that we read a little earlier and what exactly that means. That's a churchy theological word that many people might not quite understand and we're going to look at why that is so important. And so I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to chapter 2, verse 10. You're going to notice this passage begins with a therefore. Uh, and so usually when there's therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. And the reason is usually these letters or always these letters start with what you call the indicative and then the imperative. The indicative is what is true about God, what's true about us. And then the imperative is how therefore shall we live in light of who God is and who we are. And so the first 12 verses talked a lot about who God is, who we are in him, and then you get to the therefore of how then we should live. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 10. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. 
They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, help us to hear and understand these words and apply them to our lives, God, that you might be glorified through us, that we might be holy as you are holy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So going back to those, that first section there that I said we're going to focus on, that theme of holiness where he says, be holy because I am holy. Peter there is quoting from God's word in Leviticus over and over. It talks about be holy because I am holy. And so I want to try to understand what that word means. And then later on, he gets into uh, how it's not just an individual call to be holy, but he's saying collectively, as God's people, you're called to be a holy nation, a chosen people, people belonging to God. So what does it mean to be holy and why is this so important? My guess is that for some of you and for a lot of people, when they hear the word holy, like a holy person, they think of someone who's very religious, someone who's very moral. My guess is for a lot of you, that's what comes to mind when you hear holiness and being a holy person is someone who is religious, someone who's holy and moral, ethical, goes to church a lot maybe. And even when you look at this passage, it seems maybe to set up the antithesis between those who live following evil desires and then those who are holy, you know, those who don't follow evil desires. But if you think of holiness simply as being moral, you're missing the heart of holiness. When you look back in Leviticus and how he quotes these verses about being holy because I am holy, there's all sorts of things that are called to be holy that are not people. For instance, you might think of Moses and the burning bush and how God says, take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. You know, is the ground moral? What's immortal ground look like? It's, it's more than that. It, when he talks about setting up the tabernacle, he talks about a holy table and holy bowls and holy utensils. Again, like what does an immoral table look like? It's, it's more than just morality and immorality or religi- relig- religiosity, right? And when he talks about setting apart the Sabbath as holy, again, it's not about morality and immorality. Again, what does holiness mean? It's more than just being moral, when you look at the Hebrew word for, mora- for uh, holiness, which is kadosh, it translates as this, separated, set apart, withdrawn from common use. That's the word that is translated as holy. To be holy is not just to be moral, to be religious. To be holy means to be set apart, to be separate, to be withdrawn from common use. So that calling a table Holy means that you've taken it out of someone's home, you put it in the tabernacle, and now it's being used for the sacrifices. It's withdrawn from common use, set apart for the use of God. Make sense? To call the Sabbath holy means that you've set it apart as a day not to do common things, a day to worship the Lord. This ground is holy ground means it is set apart where God dwells. It's not like the other ground. So when you think about the injunction to be holy, as he is holy, it's not just saying be moral, don't do evil things. He's saying be set apart, be separate from this world. And we'll 
try to understand what that means. Be withdrawn from common use. Be set apart for the use of God. That's what Peter means when he calls us to be holy. Be holy because God is holy. And holiness is God's preeminent attribute, you might say. Some of you know that when it comes to uh, repeating things in, in Hebrew, you know, they didn't bold and underline things. You'd repeat things if you wanted to bold and underline things and emphasize something. And there's only one attribute of God that is repeated three times, right? Holy, holy, holy in Isaiah 6. Bold, underline, that is who God is. He is not like us. He is set apart. He is transcendent. He is above this creation. He does not sin, nor does he take any pleasure in sin. He's perfect in every way. And you, he says, are called to be holy, to be set apart, to be withdrawn from common use, to be separated out for the use of God, to belong to him. So three things that I want to talk about this morning, about what it means to be holy as he is holy. And the first, I'd say, is this. It means that your heart belongs to God. To be holy as God is holy means that your heart belongs to God. Let me go back to 1 Peter 1, 18 to 21. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Your faith, your hope are in him now. That's where you've put your heart, your faith, your hope. It's in him. It's not in anything else in this world. Again, I've already said being holy is more than being moral, right? You can be moral for reasons that have nothing to do with God. You can try to be moral because you think it's a better way to live, because you think it's good business practice to be moral, because you want to appear like a good person to others. There's all kinds of motivations to be a moral person. This is not about morality. This is about belonging to God. It's about your heart belonging to God. Remember the greatest commandment? Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Notice, it's not be moral, you know, obey. He's after your heart. Love the Lord your God. How do you love a being you can't even see? But that is what he's calling you to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That your heart would belong to him. That's what he's after. Again, this is not just about morality and obedience. I mean, think about it in the context of marriage. If you're married, how would you feel if your spouse obeyed you, went through the motions, but their heart was not engaged. Their heart did not belong to you. Would that mean anything to you? A spouse that goes through the motions of obedience and all of that, but doesn't truly belong to you, whose heart is not invested, it's it's meaningless. And that's what we're talking about here. God is not just after moral people. He's after your heart, that you would love him with your whole heart heart, soul, strength, and mind. So how is it possible to love a being that you have not seen? 1 John 4, 
tells us this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. You want to know how you can love a God that you've never seen? The more you understand his love for you as displayed on the cross, Jesus dying for you, and you see the depth of his love for you, that even though, yeah, he created you, you still went astray, but he came after you to love you, to bring him back to yourself, to die in your place. And the more that you see and understand that and take that to heart, the more love wells up in response to love the one who loved you first, to give yourself supremely to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Again, holiness is not about being a moral person and that's not primarily what it's about. It's about your heart belonging to God, loving him supremely, the one who loved you and gave his life for you, that his love would so transform you that like this verse says, You would no longer live for yourself, but live for him. That is holiness, to be set apart for him, to belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Again, another reference to the fact that by giving up his son, that he has bought you, that you belong to him. It's not just that he created you, but also that he died for you. To be holy means that just to recognize that I'm yours. I belong to you, God. In 1 Peter 2, verses 2 through 3, it says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. It says, Once you've been born again, once you've received his Holy Spirit in you, then live for him, crave him like pure spiritual milk, the grace, the word, the truth. Crave God in that way, like a baby craving pure spiritual milk. This prayer this is what I, I, as I prepare the sermon, just praying this for you guys. First Peter 1, 8 through 9, it says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that's my prayer for you, that this would be true of you. That this whole thing about God and Jesus and Christianity would not be about, like, how can I live a moral life? But it would be about belonging to God, to the one who loves you and died for you. That it would fill you with an inexpressible joy. That you would love him supremely and desire him above anything this world could offer. That everything in this world would pale in comparison. Nothing could captivate your heart the way he does, Right? that it would fill you with an inexpressible joy to know him, to love him, to be loved by him. That's what it means to be holy, first and foremost. Not just living a moral life, but to belong to him. That your heart would belong to him. That's what he's after. Not your obedience, but your heart. The second thing that holiness means is this. To live 
unto God. What do I mean by that? It's an old kind of English word, to live unto God, but I felt like it captured what I was trying to say here. Verse 17, he says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. What does it mean to live your life unto God? I think it means that we recognize that at the end of our lives, God is the judge. God's the one who's evaluating everything that we do. God's evaluating us as a son or a daughter, as a husband or a wife, as a brother or a sister, as a neighbor, as an employee, employer, whatever it is, God is the one who's ultimately evaluating us and we're gonna live our lives unto him, in light of him, with that in mind. Not to please anyone else, not to be trying to measure up to someone else's evaluation or even our own, but to live our lives for him and for his evaluation of us. Paul wrote it this way, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? That sums it up pretty well. Whatever you do. From the pancakes you had this morning, right, to the coffee, to whatever it is, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all unto God. However you act as a spouse, as a parent, as an employee, as a neighbor, however you act, do it all for the glory of God. That's what it means to live unto God. Let me give you a few specific examples that the Bible gives. For example, Ephesians chapter 5, 21 to 27, Paul writing about marriage says this, submit to one another. Notice how many times he mentions Jesus here. Out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I'm not gonna do a deep dive into this passage, nor am I trying to, you know, figure all of this out. What I'm doing is trying to point out to you how when Paul talks about marriage, how many times has he mentioned Jesus? He says, wives, love, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, serve and love your wives as to the Lord. Whatever you're doing it, doing it, do it to honor him. Do it unto him. In other words, why are you to love your wife? Not because she deserves it, but because he deserves it. Why are you to love your husband? Not because he deserves it, but because he deserves it. For those who are listening, I'm pointing to God for that part. That's what it means to live unto God. To be a husband or a wife unto God means that I am going to love you even when you don't deserve it because he deserves it, because God deserves it. How do you find the strength to love someone who doesn't deserve it? It's by keeping your eyes on the one who does deserve it. I mean, I'm asked that all the time, right? Anytime I'm meeting with couples, it's hard. How do you find the strength to love someone when you don't love them, right? To act in love towards someone that you're not feeling love towards. The answer is because you live your life unto God, not unto a wife or a husband. You live your life to honor him. And because you live your life to honor him, you are going to love your spouse as you're loving Christ. So what about work? 
Paul addresses that. Ephesians 6, don't get caught up by the slave and master language here. Again, we're not talking about, you know, 19th century American chattel slavery. We're talking about slavery back then where it was more about indentured servitude where someone would hire themselves out because they were in debt. So you can think about this in terms of employers and employees. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So what do you see there when you read? How many times again is he saying, conduct yourselves at work with Christ in mind? Employees, or if you feel like a slave, slaves. Don't just obey your boss when their eye is on you. You're not working for them. You're working for the Lord. So serve the Lord wholeheartedly, whether or not someone's evaluating you at the moment, whether or not someone's watching you. The Lord is watching you. So serve and honor him when you work. And if you're a master, if you're a boss, remember that you're not just the ultimate boss. There is a boss above you, and there's no favoritism with him. So serve and honor him in how you treat your employees or your slaves. Do you see what he's saying? This is what I mean when I say to be holy means to live unto God. It means to conduct yourselves in every aspect of your life, giving him what he deserves, not what employees, employers, husbands, wives, anyone else deserves. You're living unto God. How does that revolutionize things? I mean, think about how Christians should be the very best employees if this is true, right? A boss should be like, heck yeah, I want to, you know, hire more Christians because I know they are men and women of integrity who are always working. They are always working to please God. I don't need to stay on top of them. You know, they're going to work even when my eye's not on them. They're not working for my evaluation. They're working for him. That's what it means to work, to serve, to live unto God. What about Matthew 25? getting out of the realm of marriage and work to just how you live life. What about this one? Jesus said, when the son of man, referring to himself, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. We want to talk about living your life unto God here. This is him saying, as you go out into the world, even those you see as the least of these, the poor, the hungry, those in prison, those who are sick, the strangers, 
Live your life as if they were me. Treat them as if they were me. Love and serve them as if they were me, as if that person on the street was me, as if that person lying in the hospital room or in prison is me. You want to talk about treating people not as you think they deserve, but as you think God deserves, as Jesus deserves. This is it right here. He's saying, I want you to treat them as if they were me, not treat them as you think they deserve, what you think they should get. That's what it means. Live your life unto God. That's holiness. I am set apart. I'm not going to live the way the world does. I'm not going to conduct myself in marriage as a parent, as a child, as an employee. I'm not conducting myself as the world does. I'm conducting myself as he was, as he would, to give him the maximum amount of glory as I can through my life. The third thing I want to say about what it means to be holy from this passage is this. Belong to a community that images or imitates Jesus. Image is just a way of saying reflects Jesus to the world. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, he says this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So notice that he says holiness is not just an individual pursuit, but it involves being a part of a community. That holiness, being set apart for God, is not a matter of just setting yourself apart individually, but setting yourself apart in a community that's goal is to image God, that's goal is to reflect God to this world in the way they love each other, being built together into a spiritual house where Christ is the cornerstone. Now, I'm no builder. Some of you are builders in here. My understanding, at least, is the cornerstone's pretty important, right? As the foundation, it's got to be in perfect alignment so that the other stones will be in perfect alignment so the house will not be destroyed and fall down. And so as Christ is the foundation, the cornerstone, we make ourselves, we align ourselves to him to image him to this world. And so part of holiness is going to involve getting rid of evil. It is going to involve moral living. You know, I said it's not just that, but certainly that is part of holiness. Again, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you're going to live a holy life and be set apart for the use of God, it's going to involve setting yourself apart, separating from things that are not of him, right? And so some of you just need to start there this morning. Some of you just need to start with the thing that you already know is right in front of you that you need to separate yourself from, set yourself apart from. That's step one towards holiness is just saying, this I know is evil, this I know is not godly, this I just got to separate myself from that, set myself apart. But it's more than just that. It's also about loving as Christ has loved us. And he says this, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. That, he says, is the heart of community, right? That's the heart of this holy community that God has set apart is that we would love in a way that just reflects the love of God. That no one could walk into these doors or be part of this community without feeling loved, needs cared for, prayed for, 
people who care for you and build you up, who are there for you in your time of need. That is the heart of this community. That's the heart of this set-apart community, this holy community, is that we would love each other deeply from the heart. Remember the second commandment? Second commandment was this, love your neighbor as yourself. First commandment, love God with all your heart. Second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the heart of everything is love. Love God, love each other. The call is not just that God is choosing individuals to live solitary lives that are set apart from the world in their little bubble, in their little cocoon, separate from the world, but that we would be a community set apart, a place of deep love for each other and deep love for this world. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, Paul writes, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, or holy, you could say, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is a manifesto here about building up the holy community. This is great. This is, again, you're not meant to be individuals living your individual lives, trying to be holy, but you're meant to be in community where there's pastors and teachers who prepare you for works of service, who build you up, and then you all, as you speak the truth and love to each other and serve each other, build each other up to maturity. We all grow up into holiness as we love each other, as we serve each other, as we speak the truth and love to each other. That's how holiness comes. Now, we've been in a very unique season, haven't we, this past year? And I know there's a camera right there and there's people at home, you know, and the great thing about this has been that we've been able to reach out to people who might have never stepped foot in our church or to reach out to people who can no longer get out of their home because of health reasons. It's been great to see that happen. The danger, of course, of this is that some of us may grow complacent with being on that side of the camera, right? And saying, hey, we can just do church from home. As things are opening up, you know, we want to remind you that you were made for community. You were not made to be at home doing church. You were made to be in community with brothers and sisters who are speaking the truth and love to you, serving you, loving you, building you up, encouraging you, praying for you. That's the goal, okay? So those of you who have gotten accustomed to just being at home, I want to encourage you. As you are ready, the goal is to come back to community. And those of you who even can't get out, there's other ways beyond this to be a part of different community groups. We have different groups that meet throughout the week where you can, from home, over Zoom, or in person, join together with other believers and share life, love each other, serve each other, pray for each other. You were meant for community. That is how you grow up into holiness, into maturity. It's not on your own. It's in community. And I want to encourage you there's a reason to use that metaphor of stones. We're interdependent, right? The stone above me, next to me, below me. We're all interdependent in that way. We depend upon each other. 
take out one stone and the building starts to get weaker and may even crumble and fall. We need each other. We're interdependent on each other. That's holiness. Holiness is not just be a moral person and go to church. Holiness is, first of all, your heart belonging to God. That's what he's after, a heart that is set apart and belongs to him. Secondly, it means living unto God in every element, every realm of your life. You're not living, giving people what they deserve, but you're giving him what he deserves in the way you treat others. And then thirdly, it means belonging to a community that is imaging Jesus in the way that they love each other. Amen. Let me close in prayer, and I want to give you guys a minute to just reflect on this, reflect on how God might be calling you to holiness. Lord, you've asked us to be holy as you are holy. You gave yourself fully for us, Jesus, giving your life for us. You're not asking us to do something that you haven't done for us. So we pray, God, that you would help us to give our lives to you as you've given your life for us. This morning, I pray for those who are here, that it would not only just be a whole heart devotion, but there would be specific areas of their life, Lord, that you would call them to holiness, to put aside evil, to give themselves to you. So speak to our hearts, we pray, God, as we respond in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.